0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. It's time for another Robin Hood adventure, from Howard Pyle's Merry Adventures of Robin Hood. This one called, Robin Hood and the Guy of Gisborne. A long time passed after the great shooting match, and during that time, Robin followed one part of the advice of Sir Robert Lee. To wit, "'that of being less bold in his comings and his goings, "'for though mayhap he may not have been more honest, "'as most folks regard honesty, "'he took care not to travel so far from Sherwood "'that he could not reach it both easily and quickly. "'Great changes had fallen in this time, "'for King Henry had died, "'and King Richard had come to the crown "'that fitted him so well through many hard trials, "'and through adventures as stirring "'as any that ever befell Robin Hood. "'But though great changes came,' But though great changes came, they did not reach to Sherwood's shades, for there Robin Hood and his men dwelled as merrily as they had ever done, with hunting and feasting and singing and blithe woodland sports, for it was little the outside striving of the world troubled them. The dawning of a summer's day was fresh and bright, and the birds sang sweetly in a great tumult of sound. So loud was their singing that it awakened Robin Hood where he lay sleeping, so that he stirred and turned and arose. "'Up rose Little John also, and all the merry men. "'Then, after they'd broken their fast, "'they set forth hither and thither upon the doings of the day. "'Robin Hood and Little John walked down a forest path "'where all around the leaves danced and twinkled "'as the breeze trembled through them, "'and the sunlight came flickering down. "'Quoth Robin Hood, "'I make my vow, Little John. "'My blood tickles my veins as it flows through them this morning. "'What sayest thou to our seeking adventures?' EACH ONE UPON HIS OWN ACCOUNT. WITH ALL MY HEART, SAID LITTLE JOHN, WE'VE HAD MORE THAN ONE PLEASANT DOING IN THAT WAY, GOOD MASTER. HERE ARE TWO PATHS. TAKE THOU THE ONE TO THE RIGHT HAND, AND I WILL TAKE THE ONE TO THE LEFT, AND THEN LET US EACH WALK STRAIGHT AHEAD TILL WE TUMBLE INTO SOME MERRY DOING OR OTHER. I LIKE THY PLAN, quoth ROBIN. THEREFORE WE WILL PART HERE. BUT LOOK THEE, LITTLE JOHN, KEEP THYSELF OUT OF MISCHIEF. "'for I would not have ill befall thee for all the world.' "'Mary, come up,' quoth little John. "'How thou talkest! Methinks thou art wont to get thyself into tighter coils "'than I am like to do.' "'At this Robin Hood laughed. "'Why in sooth, little John,' said he, "'thou hast a blundering hard-headed way "'that seemeth to bring thee right side uppermost "'in all thy troubles. "'But let us see who cometh out best this day.' "'So saying,' "'He clapped his palm to Little John's "'and each departed upon his way, "'the trees quickly shutting the one from the other's sight. "'Robin Hood strolled onward "'till he came to where a broad woodland road "'stretched before him. "'Overhead the branches of the trees "'laced together in flickering foliage, "'all golden where it grew thin to the sunlight. "'Beneath his feet the ground was soft and moist "'from the sheltering shade. "'Here in this pleasant spot THE SHARPEST ADVENTURE THAT EVER befell ROBIN HOOD CAME UPON HIM, FOR, AS HE WALKED DOWN THE WOODLAND PATH THINKING OF naught BUT THE SONGS OF THE BIRDS, HE CAME OF A SUDDEN TO WHERE A MAN WAS SEATED UPON THE MOSSY ROOTS, BENEATH THE SHADE OF A BROAD SPREADING OAK TREE. ROBIN HOOD SAW THAT THE STRANGER HAD NOT CAUGHT SIGHT OF HIM, SO HE STOPPED AND STOOD QUITE STILL, LOOKING AT THE OTHER A LONG TIME BEFORE HE CAME FORWARD. AND THE STRANGER, I wot, WAS WELL WORTH LOOKING AT. "'for never had Robin seen a figure like that sitting beneath the tree. "'From his head to his feet he was clad in a horse's hide, "'dressed with the hair upon it. "'Upon his head was a cowl that hid his face from sight, "'and which was made of the horse's skin. "'The ears were up, stuck up like those of a rabbit. "'His body was clad in a jacket made of the hide, "'and his legs were covered with a hairy skin likewise.' By his side was a heavy broadsword and a sharp, double-edged dagger. A quiver of smooth, round arrows hung across his shoulders, and a stout bow of yew leaned against the tree beside him. "'Hello, friend!' cried Robin, coming forward at last. "'Who art thou that sittest there? And what is that that thou hast upon thy body? I make my vow I've never seen such a sight in all my life before. Had I done an evil thing, or did my conscience trouble me?' I would be afraid of thee, looking that thou wast someone from down below, bringing a message bidding me come straightway to King Nicholas. To this speech the other answered not a word, but he pushed the cowl back from his head and showed a knit brow, a hooked nose, and a pair of fierce, restless black eyes, which altogether made Robin think of a hawk as he looked on his face. But beside this there was something about the lines on the stranger's face and his thin, cruel mouth. "'and the hard glare of his eyes "'that made one's flesh creep to look upon. "'Who art thou, rascal?' "'said he at last, in a loud, harsh voice. "'Tut, tut,' quoth Mary Robin, "'speak not so sourly, brother. "'Hast thou fed upon vinegar and nettles this morning "'that thy speech is so stinging?' "'As thou likest not my words,' said the other fiercely, "'thou hadst best be jogging.' for I tell thee plainly, my deeds match them. Nay, but I do like thy words, thou sweet, pretty thing, quoth Robin, squatting down upon the grass in front of the other. Moreover, I tell thee thy speech is witty and gamesome as any I have ever heard in all my life. The other said not a word, but he glared upon Robin with a wicked and baleful look, such as a fierce dog bestows upon a man ere it springs at his throat.' Robin returned the gaze with one of wide-eyed innocence, not a shadow of a smile twinkling in his eyes or twitching at the corners of his mouth. So they sat staring at one another for a long time, until the stranger broke the silence suddenly. "'What is thy name, fellow?' said he. "'Now,' quoth Robin, "'I am right glad to hear thee speak, for I began to fear the sight of me had stricken thee dumb. "'As for my name, it may be this.' "'or it may be that. "'But methinks it's more meat for thee to tell me thine, "'seeing that thou art the greater stranger in these parts. Prithee, tell me, sweet Chuck, "'why wearest thou that dainty garb upon thy pretty body?' "'At these words the other broke into a short, "'harsh roar of laughter. "'By the bones of the demon Odin,' said he, "'thou art the boldest spoken man "'that ever I've seen in all my life.' "'I know not why I do not smile thee down where thou sittest. "'For only two days ago I skewered a man over back of Nottingham town, "'for saying not half so much to me as thou hast done. "'I wear this garb, thou fool, to keep my body warm. "'Likewise it is near as good as a coat of steel against a common sword-thrust. "'As for my name, I care not who knoweth it. "'It is Guy of Gisborne, and thou mayst have heard it before. "'I come from the woodlands over in Hertfordshire.' "'upon the lands of the bishop of that ilk. "'I am an outlaw, "'and get my living by hook and by crook, "'in a manner it boots not now to tell of. "'Not long since the bishop sent for me, "'and said that if I would do a certain thing "'that the sheriff of Nottingham would ask of me, "'he would get me a free pardon, "'and give me ten score pounds to boot. "'So straightway I came to Nottingham town, "'and found my sweet sheriff, "'and what thinkest thou he wanted of me? "'Why, forsooth!' to come here to Sherwood to hunt up one Robin Hood, also an outlaw, and to take him alive or dead. It seemeth that they have no one here to face that bold fellow, and so sent all the way to Hertfordshire, and to me, for thou knowest the old saying, Set a thief to catch a thief. As for the slain of this fellow, it galleth me not a whit, for I would shed the blood of my own brother for the half of two hundred pounds.' to all this Robin listened, and as he listened his gorge rose. Well, he knew of this guy of Gisborne, and of all the bloody and murderous deeds that he had done in Hertfordshire, for his doings were famous throughout all the land. Yet, although he loathed the very presence of the man, he held his peace, for he had an end to serve. Truly, quoth he, I have heard of thy gentle doings. Methinks there is no one in all the world that Robin would rather meet than thee." At this Guy of Gisborne gave another harsh laugh. Why, quoth he, it is a merry thing to think of one stout outlaw like Robin Hood meeting another stout outlaw like Guy of Gisborne. Only in this case it will be an ill happening for Robin Hood, for the day he meets Guy of Gisborne he shall die. Be thou gentle, merry spirit, quoth Robin. Dost thou not think that mayhap this same Robin Hood may be the better man of the two? I know him right well, and many think that he is one of the stoutest men hereabouts. He may be the stoutest of men hereabouts, quoth Guy of Gisborne. Yet, I tell thee, fellow, this sty of yours is not the wide world. I lay my life upon it. I am the better man of the two. He an outlaw, forsooth. When I hear that he hath never lived blood in all his life, him when he first came to the forest. "'Some call him a great archer. "'Mary, I would not be afraid to stand against him "'all the days of the year with a bow in my hand.' "'Well, truly, some folk do call him a great archer,' said Robin Hood. "'But we have not in our famous hands with the longbow. "'Even I, though but a simple hand at the craft, "'would not fear to try a bout with thee.' "'At these words,' Guy of Gisborne looked upon Robin with wondering eyes, and then he gave another roar of laughter till the woods rang. "'Now,' quoth he, "'thou art a bold fellow to talk to me in this way. "'I like thy spirit in so speaking up to me, "'for few men have dared to do so. "'Put up a garland, lad, and I will try a bout with thee.' "'Tut-tut,' quoth Robin, "'only babes shoot at garlands hereabouts.' I will put up a good Nottingham mark for thee. So saying, he arose, and going to a hazel thicket not far off, he cut a wand about twice the thickness of a man's thumb. From this he peeled the bark, and, sharpening the point, stuck it up in the ground in front of a great oak tree. Thence he measured off four score paces, which brought him beside the tree where the other sat. There, quoth he, is the kind of mark that Nottingham yeomen shoot at. "'Now let me see thee split that wand, if thou art an archer.' "'Then Guy of Gisborne arose. "'Now out upon it,' cried he, "'the devil himself could not hit such a mark as that. "'Mayhap he could, and mayhap he could not,' "'quoth Mary Robin. "'But that we shall never know, till thou hast shot thereat.' We'll return with Robin Hood and the Guy of Gisborne by Howard Pyle, right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to our story. At these words, Guy of Gisborne looked upon Robin with knit brows, but, as the yeoman still looked innocent of any ill meaning, he bottled his words and strung his bow in silence. Twice he shot, but neither time did he hit the wand, missing it the first time by a span "'and the second time by a good palm's breadth. "'Robin laughed and laughed. "'Ha! I see now,' quoth he, "'that the devil himself could not hit that mark. "'Good fellow, if thou art no better with the broadsword "'than thou art with the bow and arrow, "'thou wilt never overcome Robin Hood.' "'At these words, Guy of Gisborne glared savagely upon Robin. "'Quoth he, "'Thou hast a merry tongue, thou villain.' BUT TAKE CARE THAT THOU MAKEST NOT FREE WITH IT, OR I MAY CUT IT OUT FROM THY THROAT FOR THEE. ROBIN HOOD STRUNG HIS BOW AND TOOK HIS PLACE WITH NEVER A WORD, ALBEIT HIS heart QUIVERED WITH ANGER AND LOATHING. TWICE HE SHOT, THE FIRST TIME hitting WITHIN AN INCH OF THE WAND, THE SECOND TIME SPLITTING IT FAIRLY IN THE MIDDLE. THEN, WITHOUT GIVING THE OTHER A CHANCE FOR SPEECH, HE FLUNG HIS BOW UPON THE GROUND. THERE, THOU BLOODY VILLAIN, CRIED HE FIERCELY. Let that show thee how little thou knowest of manly sports. And now look thy last upon the daylight, for the good earth hath been befouled long enough by thee, thou vile beast. This day, our lady willing, thou diest. I am Robin Hood. So saying, he flashed forth his bright sword in the sunlight. For a time, Guy of Gisborne stared upon Robin as though bereft of wits, but his wonder quickly passed to a wild rage. "'Art thou indeed, Robin Hood?' cried he. "'Now I am glad to meet thee, thou poor wretch. "'Shive thyself, for thou wilt have no time for shiving when I am done with thee.' So saying, he also drew his sword. And now came the fiercest fight that ever Sherwood saw, for each man knew that either he or the other must die, and that no mercy was to be had in this battle. Up and down they fought, till all the sweet green grass was crushed and ground beneath the trampling of their heels. More than once the point of Robin Hood's sword hit the softness of flesh, and presently the ground began to be sprinkled with bright red drops, albeit not one of them came from Robin's veins. At last Guy of Gisborne made a fierce and deadly thrust at Robin Hood, from which he leaped back lightly, but in so leaping he caught his heel in a root and fell heavily upon his back. "'Now, Holy Mary, aid me!' muttered he, as the other leaped at him, with a grin of rage upon his face." Fiercely, of Gisborne stabbed at the other with his great sword, but Robin caught the blade in his naked hand, and though it cut his palm, he turned the point away so that it plunged deep into the ground close beside him. Then, ere a blow could be struck again, he leaped to his feet with his good sword in his hand. And now despair fell upon Guy of Gisborne's heart in a black cloud, and he looked around him wildly like a wounded hawk. Seeing that his strength was going from him, Robin leaped forward and quick as a flash struck a backhanded blow beneath the sword arm. Down fell the sword from Guy of Gisborne's grasp and back he staggered at the stroke. And ere he could regain himself, Robin's sword passed through and through his body. Round he spun upon his heel and, flinging his hands aloft with a shrill wild cry, fell prone upon his face upon the green sod. Then Robin Hood wiped his sword and thrust it back into the scabbard, and coming to where of Gisborne lay, he stood over him with folded arms, talking to himself the while. "'This is the first man I've slain since I shot the king's forester in the hot days of my youth. I oft-times think bitterly, even yet, of the first life I took, but of this life I am glad as though I had slain a wild boar that laid waste a fair country.' "'since the sheriff of Nottingham has sent such a one as this against me, "'I will put on the fellow's garb and go forth to see "'whether I may not find his worship, "'and perchance pay him back some of the debt I owe him upon this score.' "'So saying, Robin Hood stripped the hairy garments from off the dead man "'and put them on himself, all bloody as they were, "'then strapping the other's sword and dagger round his body "'and carrying his own in his hand, together with the two bows of yew.' He drew the cowl of horse's hide over his face, so that none could tell who he was, and set forth from the forest, turning his steps toward the eastward at Nottingham town. As he strode along the country roads, men, women, and children hid away from him, for the terror of Guy of Gisborne's name and of his doings had spread far and near. And now let us see what befell Little John while these things were happening." Little John walked on his way through the forest paths until he had come to the outskirts of the woodlands, where, here and there, fields of barley, corn, or green meadowlands lay smiling in the sun. So he came to the high road, and to where a little thatched cottage stood back of a cluster of twisted crab-trees, with flowers in front of it. Here he stopped of a sudden, for he thought that he heard the sound of someone in sorrow. He listened, and found that it came from the cottage, so... "'Turning his footsteps thither, he pushed open the wicket and entered the place. "'There he saw a grey-haired dame sitting beside a cold hearthstone, "'rocking herself to and fro and weeping bitterly. "'Now little John had a tender heart for the sorrows of other folk. "'So, coming to the old woman and patting her kindly upon the shoulder, "'he spoke comforting words to her, bidding her cheer up and telling him her troubles.' "'for that mayhap you might do something to ease them.' "'At all this the good dame shook her head, "'but all the same his kind words did soothe her somewhat. "'So after a while she told him all that bore upon her mind, "'that that morning she had three as fair tall sons beside her "'as one could find in all Nottinghamshire, "'but that they were now taken from her "'and were like to be hanged straightway, "'that, want having come upon them, "'her eldest boy had gone out the night before,' Into the forest and had slain a hind in the moonlight. That the king's rangers had followed the blood upon the grass until they had come to her cottage and had there found the deer's meat in the cupboard. That, as neither of the younger sons would betray their brother, the foresters had taken all three away, in spite of the oldest saying that he alone had slain the deer. That, as they went, she had heard the rangers talking among themselves, saying that the sheriff had sworn that he would put a check upon the great slaughter of deer. "'that had been going on of late "'by hanging the very first rogue caught thereat "'upon the nearest tree, "'and that they should take the three youths "'to the King's Head Inn, near Nottingham Town, "'where the sheriff was abiding that day, "'there to await the return of a certain fellow "'that he had sent into Sherwood "'to seek for Robin Hood.' "'To all this Little John listened, "'shaking his head sadly now and then. "'Alas!' quoth he, "'when the good dame had finished her speech, "'this is indeed an ill case,' "'But who is this that goeth into Sherwood "'after Robin Hood? "'And why doth he go to seek him? "'But no matter for that now, "'only that I would that Robin Hood "'were here to advise us. "'Nevertheless, "'no time may be lost in sending for him "'at this hour, if he would save the lives "'of thy three sons. "'Tell me, hast thou any clothes hereabouts "'that I may put on in place of these "'of Lincoln Green? "'Mary, if our stout sheriff catches me "'without disguise, I am like to be "'run up more quickly than thy sons.' "'Let me tell thee, dame.' "'Then the old woman told him "'that she had in the house "'some of the clothes of her good husband, "'who had died only two years before. "'These she brought to Little John, "'who, doffing his garb of Lincoln Green, "'put them on in its stead. "'Then, making a wig "'and false beard of uncarded wool, "'he covered his own brown hair and beard, "'and, putting on a great tall hat "'that had belonged to an old peasant, "'he took his staff in one hand "'and his bow in the other,' "'and set forth with all speed to where the sheriff had taken up his inn. "'A mile or more from Nottingham Town, "'and not far from the southern borders of Sherwood Forest, "'stood the cosy inn bearing the sign of the king's head. "'Here was a great bustle and stir on this bright morning, "'for the sheriff and a score of his men had come to stop there "'and await Guy of Gisborne's return from the forest. "'Great hiss and fuss of cooking was going on in the kitchen.' And great rapping and tapping of wine kegs and beer barrels was going on in the cellar. The sheriff sat within, feasting merrily of the best the place afforded, and the sheriff's men sat upon the bench before the door, quaffing ale, or lay beneath the shade of the broad spreading oak trees, talking and jesting and laughing. All round stood the horses of the band, with a great noise of stamping feet and a great switching of tails. To this inn came the king's rangers. "'driving the widow's three sons before them. "'The hands of the three youths were tied tightly behind their backs, "'and a cord from neck to neck fastened them all together. "'So they were marched to the room where the sheriff sat at a meal, "'and stood trembling before him as he scowled sternly upon them. "'So,' quoth he, in a great, loud, angry voice, "'ye have been poaching upon the king's deer, have you? "'Now I will make short work of you this day.' "'for I will hang up all three of you "'as a farmer would hang up three crows "'to scare others of the kind from the field. "'Our fair county of Nottingham "'hath been too long a breeding-place "'for such naughty knaves as ye are. "'I have put up with these things for many years, "'but now I will stamp them out once and for all, "'and with you I will begin.' "'Then one of the poor fellows opened his mouth to speak, "'but the sheriff roared at him in a loud voice to be silent.' and bade the rangers to take them away till he had done his eating and could attend to the matters concerning them. So the three poor youths were marched outside, where they stood with bowed heads and despairing hearts, till after a while the sheriff came forth. Then he called his men about him, and quoth he, "'These three villains shall be hanged straightway, but not here, lest they breed ill luck to this goodly inn. We will take them over yonder to that bell of woodlands.' "'for I would fain hang them upon the very trees "'of Sherwood itself, to show those vile outlaws "'therein what they may expect of me "'if I ever have the good luck to lay hands upon them.' "'So saying, he mounted his horse, "'as did his men-at-arms likewise, "'and all together they set forth "'for the belt of woodlands he had spoken of, "'the poor youths walking in their midst "'guarded by the rangers. "'So they came at last to the spot, "'and here nooses were fastened "'round the necks of the three. "'and the ends of the cords flung over the branch "'of a great oak tree that stood there. "'Then the three youths fell upon their knees "'and loudly besought mercy of the sheriff. "'But the sheriff of Nottingham laughed scornfully. "'Now,' quoth he, "'I would that I had a priest here to shrive you, "'but, as none is nigh, "'you must even travel your road "'with all your sins packed upon your backs, "'and trust to St. Peter to let you "'into the gates of paradise "'like three peddlers into the town.' In the meantime, while all this had been going forward, an old man had drawn near and stood leaning on his staff, looking on. His hair and beard were all curly and white, and across his back was a bow of yew that looked much too strong for him to draw. As the sheriff looked around, ere he ordered his men to string the three yews up to the oak tree, his eyes fell upon this strange old man. Then his worship beckoned to him, saying, Come hither, father, I have a few words to say to thee. So Little John, for it was none other than he, came forward, and the sheriff looked upon him, thinking that there was something strangely familiar in the face before him. "'How now,' said he, Methinks I have seen thee before. What may thy name be, Father?' "'Praise your worship,' said Little John, in a cracked voice like that of an old man. "'My name is Giles Hubble, at your worship's service.' Giles Hubble, Giles Hubble." muttered the sheriff to himself, turning over the names that he had in his mind to try and find one to fit to this. I remember not thy name, said he at last, but it matters not. Hast thou a mind to earn sixpence this bright morn? Aye, Mary, quoth little John, for money's not so plenty with me that I could cast sixpence away and I could earn it by an honest turn. What is it your worship would have me do? Why this, said the sheriff, "'Here are three men that need hanging as badly as any I ever saw. "'If thou wilt string them up, I will pay thee two pence apiece for them. "'I like not that my men-at-arms should turn hangmen. "'Wilt thou try thy hand?' "'In sooth,' said little John, still in the old man's voice, "'I have never done such a thing before, "'but out a sixpence is to be earned so easily. "'I might as well have it as anybody else. "'But your worship,' "'Are these naughty fellows shrived?' "'Nay,' said the sheriff, laughing, "'never a whit, but thou mayst turn thy hand "'to that also, if thou art so minded. "'But hasten, I prithee, "'for I would get back to mine inn betimes.' "'So little John came to where the three youths "'stood trembling, and, putting his face "'to the first fellow's cheek, "'as though he were listening to him, "'he whispered softly into his ear, "'Stand still, brother, "'when thou feelest thy bonds cut,' but when thou seest me throw my woolen wig and beard from my head and face, cast the noose from thy neck, and run for the woodlands. Then he slyly cut the cord that bound the youth's hands, who, upon his part, stood still as though he were still bound. Then he went to the second fellow, and spoke to him in the same way, and also cut his bonds. This he did to the third likewise, but all so slyly that the sheriff, who sat upon his horse laughing, Wotted not what was being done, nor his men either. Then Little John turned to the sheriff. "'Please your worship,' said he. "'Will thou give me leave to string my bow? For I would fain help these fellows along the way, when they're swinging, with an arrow beneath the ribs.' "'With all my heart,' said the sheriff. "'Only, as I said before, make thou haste in thy doings.' Little John put the tip of his bow to his instep, and strung the weapon so deftly that all wondered to see an old man so strong. Next he drew a good smooth arrow from his quiver, and fitted it to the string. Then, looking all around to see that the way was clear behind him, he suddenly cast away the wool from his head and face, shouting in a mighty voice, "'Run!' Quick as a flash the three youths flung the nooses from their necks and sped across the open to the woodlands as the arrow sped from the bow." Little John also flew toward the covert like a greyhound, while the sheriff and his men gazed after him, all bewildered with the sudden doing. But ere the yeoman had gone far, the sheriff roused himself. "'After him!' he roared in a mighty voice, for he knew now who it was with whom he had been talking, and wondered that he had not known him before. Little John heard the sheriff's words, and, seeing that he could not hope to reach the woodlands before they would be upon him, he stopped and turned suddenly. "'holding his bow as though he were about to shoot. "'Stand back!' cried he fiercely. "'The first man that cometh a foot forward "'or toucheth finger to bowstring, dieth!' "'At these words the sheriff's men stood still as stocks, "'for they knew right well that little John "'would be as good as his word, "'and that to disobey him meant death. "'In vain the sheriff roared at them, "'calling them cowards and urging them forward in a body. "'They would not budge an inch,' But stood and watched Little John as he moved slowly away toward the forest, keeping his gaze fixed upon them. But when the Sheriff saw his enemy thus slipping betwixt his fingers, he grew mad with his rage, so that his head swam and he knew not what he did. Then of a sudden he turned his horse's head, and plunging his spurs into its sides, he gave a great shout, and rising in his stirrups, came down upon Little John like the wind. Then Little John raised his deadly bow and drew the gray goose feather to his cheek but alas for him for ere he could loose the shaft the good bow that had served him so long split in his hands and the arrow fell harmless at his feet seeing what had happened the sheriff's men raised a shout and following their master came rushing down upon little john but the sheriff was ahead of the others and so caught up with the yeoman before he reached the shelter of the woodlands then leaning forward he struck a mighty blow "'Little John ducked it, and the sheriff's sword turned in his hand, "'but the flat of the blade struck the other upon the head "'and smote him down, stunned and senseless. "'Now I am right glad,' said the sheriff, "'when the men came and found that Little John was not dead, "'that I have not slain this man in my haste. "'I would rather lose five hundred pounds than have him die thus "'instead of hanging, as such a vile thief should do. "'Go, get some water from yonder fountain, William.' and poured over his head. The man did as he was bidden, and presently Little John opened his eyes and looked around him, all dazed and bewildered with the stun of the blow. Then they tied his hands behind him, and lifting him up, set him upon the back of one of the horses, with his face to its tail, and his feet strapped beneath its belly. So they took him back to the king's head inn, laughing and rejoicing as they went along. But in the meantime— The widow's three sons had gotten safely away, and were hidden in the woodlands. Once more the Sheriff of Nottingham sat within the King's head inn. His heart rejoiced within him, for he had at last done that which he sought to do for years, taking little John prisoner. Quoth he to himself, This time to morrow the rogue shall hang upon the gallows tree in front of the great gate of Nottingham town, and thus shall I make my long score with him even. So saying, "'he took a deep draught of canary. "'But it seemed as if the sheriff "'had swallowed a thought with his wine, "'for he shook his head "'and put the cup down hastily. "'Now,' he muttered to himself, "'I would not for a thousand pounds "'had this fellow slipped through my fingers. "'Yet, should his master escape "'that foul guy of Gisborne, "'there is no knowing what he may do, "'for he's the cunningest knave "'in all the world. "'This same Robin Hood!' "'Belike I had better not wait until to-morrow to hang this fellow.' "'So saying, he pushed his chair back hastily, "'and going forth from the inn called his men together. "'Quoth he, "'I will wait no longer for the hanging of this rogue, "'but it shall be done forthwith, "'and that from the very tree whence he saved those three young villains "'by stepping betwixt them and the law. "'So get ye ready straightway.' "'Then once more they sat little John upon the horse "'with his face to the tail.' And so, one leading the horse whereupon he sat, and the others riding round him, they went forward to that tree from the branches of which they had thought to hang the poachers. On they went, rattling and jingling along the road, till they came to the tree. Here one of the men spake to the sheriff of a sudden. "'Your worship!' cried he. "'Is not yon fellow coming along toward us, that same guy of Gisborne, whom thou didst send into the forest to seek Robin Hood?' At these words the sheriff shaded his eyes and looked eagerly. "'Why, certainly,' quoth he, "'yon fellow is the same. "'Now heaven send that he has slain the master thief, "'as we will presently slay the man.' When Little John heard this speech he looked up, and straightway his heart crumbled away within him, for not only were the man's garments all covered with blood, but he wore Robin Hood's bugle horn and carried his bow and broadsword. "'How now?' cried the sheriff. "'when Robin Hood, in Guy of Gisborne's clothes, had come nigh to them. "'What luck hath befallen thee in the forest! "'Why, man, thy clothes are all over blood!' "'And thou likest not my clothes,' said Robin, in a harsh voice like that of Guy of Gisborne, "'thou mayest shut thine eyes. "'Mary, the blood upon me is that of the vilest outlaw that ever trod the woodlands, "'and one whom I have slain this day, albeit not without wound to myself.' Then out spake Little John, for the first time since he had fallen into the sheriff's hands. "'Oh, thou vile, bloody wretch! I know thee, Guy of Gisborne! For who is there that hath not heard of thee, and cursed thee, for thy vile deeds of blood and rapine? Is it by such a hand, is it by such a hand as thine, that the gentlest heart that ever beat is stilled in death? Truly thou art a fit tool for this coward sheriff of Nottingham!' "'Now I die joyfully, nor do I care how I die, for life is not to me.' So spake Little John, the salt tears rolling down his brown cheeks. But the sheriff of Nottingham clapped his hands for joy. "'Now, Guy of Gisborne!' cried he. "'If what thou tellest me is true, it will be the best day's doings for thee ever thou hast done in all thy life. "'When I have told thee is suit, and I lie not,' said Robin, still in Guy of Gisborne's voice. "'Look, is not this Robin Hood's sword? "'And is not this his good bow of you? "'And is not this his bugle-horn? "'Thinkest thou he would have given them to Guy of Gisborne "'of his own free will?' "'Then the sheriff laughed aloud for joy. "'This is a good day,' cried he. "'The great outlaw dead, and his right-hand man in my hands. "'Ask what thou wilt of me, Guy of Gisborne, and it is thine.' "'Then this I ask of thee,' said Robin.' "'As I have slain the master, I would now kill the man. "'Give this fellow's life into my hands, Sir Sheriff.' "'Now thou art a fool!' cried the sheriff. "'Thou mightest have had money enough for a knight's ransom, if thou would asked for it. "'I like ill to let this fellow pass from my hands, but as I have promised, thou shalt have him.' "'I thank thee right heartily for thy gift,' cried Robin. "'Take the rogue down from the horsemen, and lean him against yonder tree.' "'Well, I show you how we stick a porker whence I come.' At these words some of the sheriff's men shook their heads, for though they cared not a whit whether little John were hanged or not, they hated to see him butchered in cold blood. But the sheriff called to them in a loud voice, ordering them to take the yeoman down from the horse and lean him against the tree, as the other bade. While they were doing this, Robin Hood strung both his bow and that of Guy of Gisborne, "'albeit none of them took notice of his doing so. "'Then, when Little John stood against the tree, "'he drew Guy of Gisborne's sharp, double-edged dagger. "'Fall back!' cried he. "'Would ye crowd so on my pleasure, ye unmannerly knaves! "'Back, I say! Farther yet!' "'So they crowded back, as he ordered, "'many of them turning their faces away, "'that they might not see what was about to happen. "'Come!' cried Little John. "'Here is my breast!' "'It is meet that the same hand that slew my dear master "'should butcher me. "'I know thee, Guy of Gisborne.' "'Peace, little John,' said Robin, in a low voice. "'Twice thou hast said thou knowest me, "'and yet thou knowest me not at all. "'Couldst thou not tell me beneath this wild beast's hide? "'Yonder, just in front of thee, lie my bow and arrows, "'likewise my broadsword. "'Take them when I cut thy bonds. "'Now get them quickly.' So saying, he cut the bonds, and Little John, quick as a wink, leaped forward and caught up the bow and arrows and the broadsword. At the same time Robin Hood threw back the cowl of horse's eye from his face and bent Guy of Gisborne's bow with a keen barbed arrow fitted to the string. "'Stand back!' cried he sternly. "'The first man that toucheth finger to the bowstring dieth. "'I have slain thy man, Sheriff. "'Take heed that it is not thy turn next.' Then, Seeing that Little John had armed himself, "'he clapped his bugle-horn to his lips "'and blew three blasts, both loud and shrill. "'Now when the sheriff of Nottingham "'saw whose face it was beneath Guy of Gisborne's hood, "'and when he heard those bugle-notes ring in his ear, "'he felt as if his hour had come. "'Robin Hood!' roared he, "'and without another word he wheeled his horse in the road "'and went off in a cloud of dust. "'The sheriff's men, seeing their master thus fleeing for his life, thought that it was not their business to tarry longer. So, clapping spurs to their horses, they also dashed away after him. But though the sheriff of Nottingham went fast, he could not outstrip a cloth-yard arrow. Little John twanged his bowstring with a shout, and when the sheriff dashed into the gates of Nottingham town at full speed, a gray goose shaft stuck out behind him like a molting sparrow with one feather at its tail. For a month afterward, the poor sheriff could sit upon not but the softest cushions that could be gotten for him. Thus the sheriff and a score of men ran away from Robin Hood and Little John, so that when Will Stutley and a dozen or more stout yeomen burst from out the covert, they saw naught of their master's enemies, for the sheriff and his men were scurrying away in the distance, hidden within a cloud of dust like a little thunderstorm. Then they all went back into the forest once more, where they found the widow's three sons, who ran to Little John and kissed his hands. But it would not do for them to roam the forest at large anymore, so they promised that after they had gone and told their mother of their escape, they would come that night to the greenwood tree, and thenceforth become men of the band. We hope you enjoyed Robin Hood and the Guy of Gisborne at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We always appreciate reviews. As you know, we bring new as you know, we bring new episodes every Wednesday at five PM Eastern and Sunday at noon Eastern time. Until our next presentation, everyone. Stay safe. And we'll be back soon.